It's Friday, the 1st of November, 2019, and this is HBR episode 2935, entitled The Work of a Firefighter, Part 3. It's hosted by Yeroon, and is about 30 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is the continued introduction into the work of firefighters. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello and welcome to another episode of one of my podcasts and this is the third one in my series series on firefighting. Um, so let's first start with uh, the questions I got. I got a question from Ken Fallon saying he was rather disappointed about uh, the parking habits of his neighbors in his neighborhood because a lot of cars are parked on top of the underground fire hydrants. Um, And uh, his question was, well, do we crush the cars or not? Well, um, unfortunately, we don't. Um, But uh, there are uh, mitigating uh, things that we can do to, um, to get water. Because, well... As soon as you have re- rescued any uh, and all victims, it's time to try to put the fire out using, on average, water. Um, except where you don't use water when there's an electricity fire and you don't use water when there's a gasoline fire because gasoline floats on top of water, so you only increase the uh, burning area. So... Um, what we do with the gasoline fire is we intermix the water with uh, a special soap and it produces foam. And the foam will um, cut off the oxygen to the, uh, to the gasoline fire and thus extinguish the gasoline fire. So all kinds of oils and gasolines and whatnot can all be uh, extinguished using foam and everything you need to produce foam is on the standard truck that uh, that gets out to the incident. Um, the other thing is, uh, suppose that you uh, arrive at the scene and all underground water hydrants are covered and you desperately need, wa- need water, there is a system that... Well, it, in Dutch it's it groot uh, watertransport, but uh, it would translate to large water transport. Um, and it's a, it's a truck, and the truck has a has a um, um, what's a sort of a container on top of the truck, and it contains a really 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 long hose. 
that also is very big if if you um if you uh, would cut through it eh? the, the 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 diameter it's uh i believe something like uh, 15 centimeters or something um and in on the on the same in the container is also a diesel engine and a hydraulic pump so what happens is the the truck will go to any place that has a large body of water a canal uh, a big pond uh, whatever something with a large amount of water and it will put down the container it will then um, uh, remove the high the, the, the diesel uh, engine from the container uh, place it on, 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 on the soil on the ground and throw the hydraulic pump into the water and this hydraulic pump is clearly uh, has uh, two uh, hydraulic horses, hoses attached to it and also the water hose and when you start this this diesel engine and you you get the oil flowing it produces a, a large amount of power to pump water and this can go up to 2400 liters per second so that's up a minute anyway it's a lot trust me um next he the truck will uh lift the container the remaining container with the remaining hose on on its on its back you know on the truck because it contains something like one and a half to three kilometers of hose and it will start driving at the average speed of 40 kilometers an hour which is pretty fast well it's not not highway fast but it's nevertheless and while it's driving the hose is pulled out of the container simply by driving so that that um gives you um within a, a radius of one and a half or three depends on the system kilometers around the the the, the diesel engine gives you um uh, an outlet for water and you can connect your gear to it your firefighting gear to it and uh, once they start pumping it it's a lot of water that they pump it's um you, you can feed more than one truck. I believe something like three or four trucks can simul simultaneously be fed from this one system uh, where all trucks have uh, three to four hoses deployed. So it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, but this truck has to uh, drive to the location where he needs to uh, be deployed. So it's, it's not like... Uh, give me this large water and it will be there in in the next three to five minutes. So you still have a problem if your car is parked on um, on top of fire hydrants. But um, given time, uh, there, there 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 will be enough water water on site. Um, what do you do in between? Well, uh, you could start with uh, using two trucks, one. Uh, a few blocks away that will that's able to attach to the first fire hydrant and will pump to the second truck and the second truck will deploy uh, water so that works too um, if if the situation calls for it 
So there are alternatives in place in case somebody um, or a lot of but somebody's park their car on on top of fire hydrants. Now the other question was um, uh, somebody. Let me get this right. Okay, uh, this is by Steve. Steve says, you've said that you are a volunteer firefighter. I'm wondering if most firefighters in the Netherlands are volunteers. In the US, there are volunteer departments, for sure, in rural and small-town areas. But most of the medium to large cities have fire departments where the firefighters are employees of the city or council or country. Well, um, it's, it's similar to... The Netherlands. It's it's similar. We we talk about volunteers and we talk about professional firefighters, but at the same time, in the Netherlands, they are um, uh, on. Uh, they have a contract with the same organization. It's just by history, it's called volunteer, and by history, it's called professional. But both of these uh, individuals, either what we call volunteer, what we call professional, is being trained and paid and and managed by the same organization. Um, In the Netherlands, it's the same. The large cities have what we call professionals, um, which means that they will come to the station for 24 hours, do that, and then they are off for 48 hours until they have another shift. Um. And that's because it, it's pretty expensive to have people on, on a regular salary. But if you have, let's say, more than uh, seven, eight incidents per day, it just is cheaper to have people on a contract than using volunteers. Um, on the other side, all the other um, uh, towns... And those are, you know, smaller than a hundred thousand inhabitants or something. They all have volunteer firefighters, still on contract with the same organization, but they have uh, uh, an exercise evening once a week, uh, regular uh, for regular exercising on theory and practice of firefighting, and everything it entails. And they have a beeper, a pager, and as soon as that goes, uh, that starts beeping. You hurry to the station, you put on your suit, and you get in this big red uh, van and and go do your thing. Um, If you look at the... um, the, uh, What's the word for it? The the numbers, let's let's put it like that. The the numbers, uh, the, the ratio between them. It's well about eighty eighty percent of of all uh, firefighters in the Netherlands are volunteer firefighters because eighty percent, or let's say put it the other way, only twenty percent of the Netherlands uh, is um, occupied by big cities, and all the other ones are rurals and and small smaller towns. Um, so. The most part, the volunteers are by far and large the biggest portion of firefighters in the Netherlands. Um, so I hope that answers the question of Steve. Now, I have uh, prepared a few other subjects that I would like to discuss with you. The first one would be um, breathing. You know, when you get into um, 
a fire infested house or building there's a lot of smoke there's a lot of heat and there are even occasionally flames so it's not really healthy to breathe in and out in that kind of environment the water the, the water the air is too hot it will burn your lungs your lung cells will start shriveling and uh, start leaking body fluid and you will drown in your own uh, your own water your own body wa- uh, fluid so that's it's not really healthy so you need something and that's of course a breathing apparatus you got a tank full of breathing air it's not oxygen it's just regular air that's all around you uh, in this tank now think about this for a minute it's it's a tank it's its contents is for six liters and it's its pressure is 300 bars and so how much liter of air is that well it's simple a matter of multiplication six liters times 300 bars is 1800 liters of a breathable air inside this tank okay um clearly that's uh, something that can run out so what are we talking about how long will it last well that's the trick so see normal if you no- do normal breathing you breathe six seven inhalations per minute you're relaxed nothing really going on and maybe on average you breathe four liters per breath so that makes 24 liters and if you try to get uh, 24 liters out of this uh, this tank it will last you 75 minutes which is more than an hour it's pretty much um, but you get into the building you uh, you're working with a hose maybe it's already filled with water so it's heavy maybe you you have a high pressure hose so it's not so heavy but at some point maybe you um, encounter a victim somebody laying on the floor clearly unconscious and you need to get him out of there as soon as possible well the only way to do that is by dragging or lifting so there are several procedures um, in the Netherlands they use the, uh, a breathing um, uh, sorry a lifting technique called Rautek uh, in Belgium, they have a completely different technique. I think it's a better one, but we get to that later. Um, so you pick up this person, average weight, 70, 80 kilograms with two persons, and you start maneuvering back to the exit. Now, at that time, you're talking about serious physical exercise. And your uh, your inhalations will increase, and they can increase up to 40 or 50 per minute. So 40 or 50 per minute, let's say 40, um, at 4 liters per breath is 160 liters per minute. And then your tank um, is just enough for 11 minutes. And that's not a lot. So it's in, maybe find a victim and get out as soon as possible. Um the other thing, uh, the nice thing about this 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 tank, this this breathing apparatus, there's a there's a uh, um, there's a physical uh, mechanical. That's better. It's a mechanical buzzer built in that starts uh, uh, sounding a sort of a, 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 a beeping sound, not beeping, but uh, it's a that that kind of sound, um, and it starts to do that. 
as soon as the pressure drops below 50 bars. So at 50 bars, you know that it's time to really hurry up and get out as soon as possible. Normally, you're trained to look at your uh, gauge, your pressure gauge, uh, as much as possible, as often as possible. So you and you sh you should be out of the building before it starts. Um, what's the word for it? It's not beeping. Well, you know what what I mean. You know, it's whistling or something. The sound. The um, uh, so if if you get out of the building while this thing is is uh, uh, whistling, it's um, and you, you you've not done a good job thinking about your own safety. Okay, no heroism. That's that's all those that stuff. That's crap. It's fake. Think of your own safety, and that's the only way you can think of others to help as well. Um, so, worst case, eleven minutes to get out. Um, and um, it can be a challenge. Now, the other thing is, when you're inside a building, how do you maneuver about? How do you walk about? How do you orient yourself? Uh, because the thing is, you don't see nothing. Um, I think that's bad English, but you get the point. It's it's not black, it's gray in front of your helmet. It's It's because of the smoke. You don't see anything. So you can't just start walking around and hoping for the best. So what do you do? It's simple. You always keep uh, in contact, in close contact with the wall. Either on the left side or on the right side. But none, nevertheless, one of the sides, it's going to be. And... Um, so this is... We can try this if you're at home. I, I don't do this in your car. Because it... it it not only looks weird, but it could turn out dangerous. So don't try to mimic what I'm telling you while you're driving. Please don't. Okay, so suppose I am following a wall on the left side. So on my left, I have a wall and I'm in contact with it with my hand. Now, I wouldn't use the palm of my hand because if there are electricity uh, leads that have been... Um, that have uh, suffered from the fire, then the copper is exposed, maybe even still containing uh, a high voltage on them. That's unhealthy. So you use the back of your hand to follow, to guide yourself along the wall. Because as soon as your back of your hand touches a hot lead, it will um, spasm the, uh, the muscles and, and, and create a fist. And that's not bad because it will get your hand away from the hot lead. So uh, that's that should be on the safe side. Now, the other thing is um, you want to not only keep in touch with the uh, wall, but you also want to check for uh, light switches and those kind of things. So you keep moving your arm up and down to follow the um, in a wavy kind of movement up and down against the wall the other arm on your right side also has a function although you're following the wall on the left and that's because you want to shield yourself and your mask from any hot leads or piping or whatever um, 
sticking out of the ceiling above you and that you could occasionally maybe run into. So you have a similar wavy uh, gesture with your right arm, but not to your right, but more to your, to, to uh, let's say, in front and above you. So it's above and in front of your face. Though that, that, that kind of wavy th- um, uh, thing. I know it's, it's, it looks silly, but in practice... They thought about it and it works. So and well, nobody sees it because well, you know, you can't see anything, so nobody sees you doing s- silly stuff. Now, those are the arms. We also have two legs left. Well, one of the legs is your standing uh, leg, and the standing leg, if you're following uh, the wall on the left, is the left leg, your standing leg. So that's the one that that your weight is is is, is standing on. And the other leg is used to to touch in front of you if there are maybe with a wood, wooden floor or something like that uh, open openings gaps where you could fall into. So you're tu- you, 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 you're using your right leg to touch to to feel uh, if there is um, a hole in the floor, and um, if there isn't, then you will move your left leg. Not in front of your leg, but at the same uh, at the same uh, l- line. So they're next to each other. So you only increase steps with your right, and you uh, get you you get your left one up to the right before you uh, move the right one a little further. Okay. Um, well, if you it it takes some exercise, I know, but. Uh, at some point, it's just as as normal as swimming or walking or, well, you know, those are the, all those things that say that they say you never once you you get the hang of it, you'll never forget it. Um, so that's the walk, the walk, you know, do the talk, walk the walk, talk the talk. Now there is there are two more things I'd like to talk to you about, and those are those typical fire, um, fire behavior that um, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't, but it's the flash over and the backdraft. Now, what does that mean? Well, the flash over is basically rather simple. What happens is the fire will sort of jump from one piece of furniture to another. Now, that's strange. Why would a fire jump? Well, um, just imagine you have a, a room and there's a fire on the couch and the temperature temperature increases, the fire increases and uh, with every fire there's a massive amount of infrared radi- radiation, you know, heat, warmth, warmth, radiation, heat, radiation. And this uh, infrared radiation will also... Uh, uh, touch, fall upon, whatever you call it, uh, on furniture that's not already burning. But simply by the infrared uh, uh, light, it will start to decompose uh, whatever the material, whatever it is, and thus thus creating flammable uh, gases that are not yet uh, on fire because the ignition temperature is not high enough but nevertheless it is this new piece this other piece of furniture is creating gases and at some point the room in the temperature uh, the temperature in the room will increase to that level that the um, 
uh, earlier generated uh, uh, gases will ignite and then you sort of have a jump of, of, of a fire from one piece of furniture to another so that's a flashover it's it is what it is it's not pretty spectacular but it's just uh, a way of, of, of describing what's happening during a fire and the other one is the backdraft now the backdraft is something that most of you have heard about I've heard about it there have been a few bo- uh, a few movies about it and the movies especially the movie backdraft listen it's a movie okay it's um, the way it's portrayed is not realistic but I think you already guessed that nevertheless backdraft itself is hugely hugely uh, dangerous um let me describe it like this. So you have uh, uh, you have a, um, a room in your house, and there's a fire in the hu- in, in this room. So a lot of heat is produced. A lot of uh, gases, uh, burn, burn gases, are created. Uh, it's all uh, it's all on fire. All the oxygen is being used, but the room is closed. The door is closed. The windows are closed, etc. So at some point in time, um, there is oxygen depletion and the fire will extinguish. But there is still a lot of energy left in the room in the form of temperature. So uh, all these materials that were burning keep on producing flammable gases simply because it's very hot in the room but they can't burn because there's no oxygen anymore okay now so far so good at some point let's imagine somebody opens the door what happens is a sort of a pumping effect where you get smoke out air in smoke out air in and this and this is the speed it's not quicker it's it's not slower it's about this speed Smoke out, air in, smoke out, air in. And this, this happens about 10 times. Just enough time for the room to get enough oxygen to explosively burn all those burning gases, all those fire gases that were remaining in the room but couldn't burn. And then you get a sort of a, a, a explosive explosion-like a flame that gets out of the door so don't stand in front of the door never healthy um, on YouTube if you look for a uh, backdraft there are many spectacular uh, movies so um, uh, short short clips uh, showing you what a backdraft can do and it's it's pretty impressive so a backdraft is something that as a firefighter you should really be careful about and always look out for always check always open the room carefully see what happens with the smoke is there a pumping thing going on and um, if so well what you could do is um, open the door for a few seconds and spray water to the ceiling as as to cool the room because at some point maybe you get then an explosive mixture but if the temperature is low enough it won't ignite um 
that's one thing you can do or you can break a window and force a, a, a backdraft but then in a, in, in, a, in a direction that's safe to, to everybody else um, there are uh, depends on the situation what kind of solution you would uh, you would take so don't and again don't try this at home right um, I've seen at training centers uh, simulated backdrafts using shipping containers where at one end there is um, is a uh, is a, um, a sort of a, um, a wall created and behind the wall there's a, there's a door in the wall and behind that they, they just thro throw in pallets one after the other it's hugely uh, huge fire it's very hot at some point they'll close the door you wait a few seconds so it can create uh, burnable gases but nothing much happens and then you open it and you get a backdraft but then in a controlled setting so um, um, having the right gear uh, make making sure um, the process is 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 under control it's it's really very very cool to witness but uh, because what you get is um, uh, not so much of an explosive backdraft but you you get a flow of of um, gases that could burn but are not burning yet over the ceiling because they're hot gases over the ceiling of the shipping container and then there because it's still warm inside they're ignited so it's more of a when you look up you see a, a sea of of flames um, yeah it's sort of a sea with with waves and and uh, uh, created by 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 some flames so it's yeah it's it's warm but at the same time it's very beautiful to look at um, again don't try this at home don't make an installation like that uh, unless you know what you're doing and if you've never heard of firefighting before you probably don't so don't do this um, if you want to witness this in a controlled environment just apply become a volunteer firefighter why not uh, there's a shortage in a lot of areas at least in the Netherlands and I can imagine it's the same in other countries and why not step up to the plate and um, yeah, be all you can be and do some adventure stuff? Um, okay. Anyway, um, that that's it for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like the last two uh, uh, episodes, I would say if you have any more questions regarding firefighting, just put them in the comments. And uh, if if there are any, I'll address it in a fourth episode episode and if not well then three is is as much as it was i don't i'll i'll f figure out i've got en enough other subjects to do podcasts about so um hope you enjoyed it um this is uh jerome batten again uh signing off maybe seeing you at um uh no oh camp is already uh, gone if, if if you read if you hear this so uh i hope you enjoyed our camp i did probably i guess um, maybe in March you will go to Cloudfest in Munich, Germany. If you do, I've got a surprise for you. But that's for another day. Um, okay, so, till we meet again, bye-bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. 
Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Thank you.